people are getting so good at creative strategy right now that it's getting more and more competitive. I wouldn't say Facebook is dying out. I would say people are shifting budget to different platforms. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition Podcast, I get to speak with Jim Burrow, and he's a 24-year-old full-time entrepreneur who was born and raised in Germany, and he has spent the last four years launching and selling seven to eight-figure e-commerce brands and has sold more than 20 million with his e-commerce business. And he also owns a marketing agency that invests in smaller direct-to-consumer brands and acts as a VC or venture capital named Adcubator and an education company called Ecom Incubator. And we're going to dig into all kinds of fun things about AI, media buying and investing in agencies and how he scaled these companies and give us all kinds of great ideas of things that he has done and things that he's learned along the way in marketing strategy and e-commerce and conversions and all the fun things. So stay tuned. But first, let's go into our marketing essentials moment, the basics that you need to continue to build your brand and your bottom line. Let's go on a journey. And this week's topic, I wanted to dig in more about email marketing and all the things that we are doing to continuously try to stay relevant in people's inboxes. And there's lots of different things that I've researched and come up with that I want to share with you right now. Okay, so a few things about email marketing that is ever evolving and we're always trying to do the best that we can to make sure that we get our emails delivered to people's inboxes without going through spam or getting unsubscribed or all the things that we're trying. So a couple things to consider when email marketing. One thing is not to purchase or rent email lists that are third-party information, right? We want to do things to collect people's email first-party data, right? From our clients and uh, target markets of people that we want. So doing things to help capture people's emails in a legitimate way and doing things that can help you avoid the CAN-SPAC act and not, <laughs> not following the rules, right? So we wanna try to avoid from scraping websites and getting email addresses or guessing email addresses and those types of things. It's not legal to do that in many countries. So just think about how you are going to capture your email addresses the best way possible and having those opt-ins and permission uh, so that you're not in trouble. And then also, if you continue to email people who have already bounced repeatedly. Hard bounces are going to result in you know, having uh, a flag go up. And so it's going to make it to where your emails will get spammed, right? And then in subject lines, this is so important in things that we've seen over the years and the emails that we send on behalf of our clients. And of course, for Peppershock or for the marketing expedition, we know that you don't want to use all caps in the subject line. I know it's it's tempting to do because you want to capture people's attention. However, it's just like yelling at people, right? And it also makes it to where people don't want to open your email because it's going to uh, make it 
just annoying to them. And not to mention, it can also land in spam or get filtered out too. So thinking about how you are going to use capital letters in your subject line, but not all caps, okay? And then also try not to use too many exclamation points. I know you're trying to make something be seen, but too many exclamation points. And if you have multiples of the same symbol, it's not good because spam will report it as spam solely based on that subject line. So stay away from some of those triggers. Also in your email, using video inside the email can make the file sizes really large and they might also get you know, quarantined because it's too big of a file to send and it's not going to do you well. So having links out to the rich media on a landing page certainly helps. And then you can also know if people clicked on it and watched it and went to your site that has that video or that rich media that you want them to see. Now you can have a placeholder where it looks as though a video is inside the email where it has a screenshot or a screen capture of a frame of the video with a little play button so people know that you can click on it to play it, but make sure it links out into a web browser or landing page or wherever it is that you're trying to direct them to. And try not to embed forms inside your email. Again, having a, a click to landing page with a call to action button where you can have people click here to fill out the form will again help you avoid spam and avoid those types of things. And people plus, you know, sometimes they're not willing to click on things that they don't recognize. So be aware that sometimes you're not going to be able to get people to fill out a form inside of your email. So just keep that in mind. Do things to help them understand that they can download and it's a safe space and that you're not trying to spam them or you know have some sort of virus that's planted in your email right so so thinking about being trustworthy and those types of things and not having attachments on your email but using some of those effective call to action buttons that'll help minimize the chance of being blocked by spam filters and also decrease the load time of your email because if your email is loading and loading and loading people will just dismiss it and not want to do it. Another thing is the types of uh, words that you're using in your subject line. Um, think about how you can um, maybe even just do a Google search to do the title and and see how safe it is for subject lines to then get through uh, those spam filters, right? You don't want to use trigger words. You got to be creative and informative and interesting. And I like to say edutainment, having some education and entertainment. Uh, but don't give away too much because we want people to open the email, but we also want to make sure that it's not going to use a red flag when you're trying to send that email. So thinking about how you can incorporate uh, subject lines that are going to be highly effective and test it. Test it out to a small sample before you send it out to your list entirely and see which subject line gets the most traction, most opens, most attention getting, right? And then the one that works that's the subject line that you can use. And then uh, some things or some maybe some ideas for subject lines, you can use people's name and using people's name, their name can really help if you have variable data and you are able to send a message out with their name in the subject line, chances are they'll open it, but make sure that you have the correct name, right? Sometimes data gets input and, you know, it's supposed to be last name first or first name last. And, and so things can get 
inverted or other information can be populated in those. So you just really need to check the integrity of your data and make sure that the first name is first and the last name is last name as it should be. And thinking about how you can use those subject lines that are proven to work and, and Googling it, understanding what works for your industry, what kind of words or trigger words that you don't want to use, things like that. A couple things too, try not to use red font or colors that people have a hard time seeing if they're colorblind or maybe, you know, their eyesight is not as good as it once used to be. Maybe I can attest to that too for me, but thinking about the the fonts, color, and the size that you're using. A lot of people are looking at their emails on a mobile device. And so uh, you don't want to have to make them pinch to see what it is that they're trying to look at to, to enlarge the, the email. So font sizes and the, you know, common fonts that are most legible on a mobile device. Think about that and what you're going to do in that email that you're wanting to send out. And try not to do too much email copy, making it too long. People aren't going to read a whole huge novel in an email, right? And I know that sometimes sales copy can go a little bit longer if you're trying to describe something or show and share your key benefits and those types of things. But maybe an email sequence where you have a couple of different emails over a period of time might help you get more information across that's not so terribly long that people just dismiss it because it's too long to read and they're like, yep, I'm done. I'm not going to read all of that. So just keeping in mind the length of your email copy, the body of your email, if you are going to include images, what those images might be. Are they supporting images? Are they reinforcing what something you're saying, like a breakout box? What is it that you're going to include in that email? And of course, don't forget to use spell check or we use Grammarly. We love Grammarly because it helps us with our grammar and spelling and all the things. It gives us some suggestions. If you're not familiar with Grammarly, it's a great tool that you can use with Gmail and it'll help beyond just spell check. It has a lot of fun things. So spell check or Grammarly, those are all key ingredients to having a very successful email come out to you and what you can do. So just think about the different ways that you can incorporate this into your marketing strategy and plan. If you are wanting to invite people to an event or if you're building awareness or if you're a nonprofit and you want to, you know, get donations or find funders or if you are a startup and you are launching your product or service, lots of different things to think about how you can use email to your advantage and how do you can continue to build your email list over time and there's lots of different ways to go about doing that where you can, we, we say, you know, it's like an email carrot where people have to click to download something of value to them and they have to give you their email in order to then be able to download that and have it sent to their inbox. And that is an okay time to send an attachment when they give you permission to do it when it's first party data and we're following all the rules and all of the ability to opt out at any time and unsubscribe and, you know, all of those things that you need to follow in order to, you know, be legal as you continue to build your email list and gain that traction and having landing pages and tracking it all. And I always say, measure what you treasure, dump what you don't, and automate what you hate. All right, let's get into our interview with Jem. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media, 
and the founder of the Marketing Expedition Community. And today's guest, we have Jim Burrow on, on, on with us today. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Ray, for having me. Super excited uh, to be here. Absolutely. So let's just give a kind of an overview of some of the things that you've accomplished. Oh my, you've done so many things and I can't wait to share. But just um, from your own words, your own perspective, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? Uh, hard work, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> nights, hiring a lot of people, taking a lot of courses, connecting with the right people and a bit of luck, I'd say. So let's uh, go back. You said you were born and raised in Germany. Yeah. And and now you're 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 kind of a world traveler here. But let's uh, let's go back to tell tell me about kind of what it was that you were doing there and just give us your journey of what get, gets you to where you get to be the the kind of like the I don't know, marketing guru that you are, right? <laughs> yeah. So born and raised in Germany, uh, in a small, not really a small city, but in a city called Bremen probably like 600,000 people living there. Not the smallest city, not the craziest capital like Berlin. Uh, did my high school there, moved to a different city where I went to university uh, and uh, moved to that city simply because of the fact that I didn't know anyone there. And I was like, well, might be a new start, you know, so why not give it a shot? Went there, uh, studied business economics for some time. And uh, it was really you know, like the thought of making money online and just like being financially free, doing whatever I please, uh, you know, and, and being the only guy responsible for my own luck. I knew like at some point, you know, I didn't know really how, but I always knew that at some point it's going to happen. Wow. So then I looked up how to make money online on, on YouTube, you know, how to make money, uh, stumbled upon all these videos, uh, especially Shopify dropshipping. This is like something that stung with me and, and agencies and all that kind of stuff. Venturing into dropshipping wasn't successful, sold my first store as kind of like a pre-built store. So I actually made profit. And I was like, damn, like making money on the internet is actually a thing. And this was <laughs> yeah. started in December, 2017 and sold the store like after half a year in June, 2018. And then I was like, okay, like troubleshooting, what went, what went wrong, why it went wrong, all that kind of stuff, you know, making sure I'm actually accountable for the mistakes and everything. I bought traffic on Fiverr, so I didn't do any media buying, no influencer shoutouts, no organic growth, no nothing. So I pretty much didn't do what I was doing, but I was doing something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is better than not taking action, I'd say. So this is really when I started to research things, taking courses on Udemy, reading on forums online, being on Twitter, being active in discords, starting to network with people. Uh, fast forward up to this day, uh, have a Google Ads agency, have a couple of e-com brands, had, have had four exits so far from my brands. Wow. Uh, one after three months, uh, mm -hmm. which was crazy. Scaled an info product within two months to a million, actually a bit less than two months. That's um, incredible. Yeah, so like a lot of things going on right now and total our team throughout all the ventures and, and businesses and entities that we have probably around say a bit more than 110 it's always kind of like hard to keep up mm -hmm. if you're making the hires and everything and who is a freelancer who's a contractor so probably like let's say 110 people actually working full-time for us and our team fast forward yeah that's amazing wow in such a short period of time i mean i think that it's like it, it, it's always interesting 
because people who well, I'm going to make money online and I'm going to make it now. Well, you've done the work. You've watched all the YouTube videos and, you know, all the things like you said. So I want to know, I mean, because obviously it's been years of watching and learning and growing. And like you said, we continuously learn all the time. But what are some things that kind of stick out to you that were like aha moments that, you know, maybe some sources or resources that you watched that were game changers for you? I think it wasn't necessarily one type of resource where I was like, okay, well, this is exactly what I have to do. And this is the game plan. And this is like, you know, the aha moment. Mm -hmm. I'd say the the real aha moment was when I noticed that, you know, like, so I sold the store and, and all these people were like making 30, 40, 50 K a month in revenue. Of course, mm -hmm. revenue is not profit, but it's still like, man, they're making 50 K a month. This is what some people make in a year. And they're like mm -hmm. 17, 18, like shit's crazy. Yeah. So like I had to think, I was like, man, like it can't be that all these people are successful and I'm not. So I was like, like, to be quite honest, it was like a bit bitter, you know, I was like, man, mm -hmm. what do these people do? What I am not doing. Then I figured, well, they're probably just doing this for longer. They're probably working harder. They're working smarter eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause it can't be that it's just all luck, you know, right. right. like at some point you have to just make the realization and put the ego aside and be like, well, I suck and I need to step up my game mm -hmm. and I need to be actual accountable for what I'm doing and, and where I'm at. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause the place that you and I are in right now, it's not by, by luck or destiny. Maybe there's some luck involved because at some point there's always some luck, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, unless you won the lottery, there's <laughs> no way that you're not responsible for the place that you are in right now. Right. So this was like the number one, realization that you actually need to be accountable for what you're doing and that you're in charge of your own future mm -hmm. essentially yeah so when you learned some of those lessons from what you you know said that you didn't quite get right what were some of those things that you would have done differently or when you first kind of started to learn about the things to do right what kind of stories can you share with us that made you realize oh this is what i needed to do probably hiring faster, systemizing faster, not being afraid of legal, not being afraid of finance. Cause it's like, Oh, I don't want to start my business. And then I need to register this and I need to pay taxes and this yeah. and that, you know, like even up to this day, I still have to, to deal with some taxes back in Germany from 2020, 2021. Um, and like, I honestly like, just don't like dealing with it. Cause I'm like, man, <laughs> all these bad people who are trying to do something bad like no like my accountant and and the entire tax office like the contractors they're like super nice i gave them a call today because i didn't understand some things and i just called them up i was like hey like you sent me like dozens of pdfs can you walk me through them please you right like, well, of course <laughs> and then like we had a chat for like half an hour and i was like super happy because i actually understood and i know how much i had to pay mm -hmm. It just Whatever. means that that's what I always say, man, why do we have to pay so many taxes? It just means that you're making money. <laughs> and of course you have to pay taxes when you make money. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one big thing was also procrastination, like not having hundred percent. And like, of course this doesn't only reflect on books and bookkeeping and making sure you have everything collected, man. I have uh, like, no one is going to send books to you right now but I still have an entire briefcase that I took from Germany that oh has my all of my documents inside of them. And it's <laughs> like, 
hundreds of documents. Oh <laughs> well, wow. so for the, the listeners, he just showed a, a briefcase full of documents and papers and things that he's carrying around. I see. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, still need, I still need to go through all of that, um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but I know like at some point I'm going to do it. And then it's done. You know, it's like, it's it's nothing that I should be afraid of because mm -hmm. what's done is done. It's not like I can't pay the taxes. I made money, so I need to pay the taxes. So, you know, and, and kind of like the scarcity mindset, sometimes like being afraid of things and just overthinking things and procrastinating like, man, like, I, I know I need to do this, but I, I'll do it tomorrow. Like, like yeah. might as well do it today, you know? analysis paralysis they call that right you don't get anything done because you're analyzing too many things but yet doing it then you know there's there's consequences and repercussions but then there can also be rewards and benefits too so weighing out those and, and being able to make sure that you're taking the right risks right yeah 100 <laughs> i'm fully with you so okay so what are some of the marketing tactics that you have taken to really accelerate what you're doing with, you know, if it, whether it was the dropship or, you know, on Spotify or, you know, some of the tactics that you took to, to really elevate kind of that, you know, direct consumer or the marketing things that you put into place to help with conversions, all those types of things. It's a, it's a good question. And <laughs> I know there's honestly, a lot <laughs> yeah, no, down for us. <laughs> amazing question. Cause at some point in 2018, I realized man, these businesses, they're only relying on one traffic source. And if you have a business, and I'm not saying that Facebook or Google is going to be shut down in a year from now, you know, mm -hmm. but if, if one thing is making you money, why shouldn't you transfer these things, not transfer, but pretty much duplicate what you're doing on this one platform, do it on another platform and just expand more and, and essentially make more money, so to say, and just grow the company, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. which is essentially an omni-channel marketing approach that you don't only rely on, on Facebook or Google, but actually do both of them together and, and then TikTok and Pinterest and Snapchat. Because I mean, if you have the assets for one platform, such as TikTok, for example, it would be stupid to not use them for real ads or for Snapchat or for whatever, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, you have the assets, so there is no cost that is involved in taking these assets and running adds to them on a different platform besides ad costs, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know and have validated that respective asset or creative, then you know it's going to make you more money, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're capped and everything, okay, but like if, if you have the cash flow and everything, just take it and, and do exactly what you're doing on another platform and it should work, right? This is like number one realization. Number two realization, front end isn't the only important thing, but also back end. If you're not taking emails, then, you know, like at the end of the day, you're buying the traffic, you're buying ads, you're buying media, right? So you're relying still on, on platform, whether it is one platform, two or three, it doesn't matter. You still need some kind of retention tactic in place and retention marketing in place in order to not only acquire the customers one time, but actually keep them and have them, you know, return one time, two times, three times over and over again, which is what you can do with email marketing, SMS marketing. Third thing, and this is actually something I've realized last year, conversion rate optimization. You have so many levers that you can pull in media buying, right? And these levers are creative, which your creative team does. Mm -hmm. You have the landing page, which is essentially for conversions, right? And of course, backend and everything, offer, all that kind of stuff. So let's just say creative, offer, and uh, landing page, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, creative, let's say all figured out, it's converting, you're making money, you're hitting the KPIs, your CPA is below where the goal is. Uh, so it's good, you can raise the, the budget, you can scale. Let's say you're break even now, or you know, just below the, the CPA. And you have the creative, it's working perfectly fine. And uh, your resources for creative are bound or whatever. The, the times to source more creators is way too high. Like you need to have everything in place. You need to have a good offer. You need to have good creatives and you need to do conversion rate optimization. It's optimizing everything at the same time. You're testing more creatives, you're testing more offers and you do this entire conversion rate optimization because it's you have to imagine it like a curve of compound effect, right? Mm-hmm. One change is going to make it really significant. Of course, like one change can have significant effects, but it's not about having one or two successful tests. It's about driving constant revenue and then increasing the revenue per user through conversion rate optimization. So the curve, the revenue per user curve kind of goes up steadily, right? Mm -hmm. Probably top three realizations that I've had when it comes to, to, well, anything DTC, I'd say. Okay, cool. Yeah, direct-to-consumer can be tricky, but if you can figure it out and like you said, do the iterations and track it all and see how it's working, Tell me about some of the tools that you use that you have used to track and kind of understand what's going on in, in what you're working on. Yeah, amazing question. I mean, ever since iOS tracking has been not not the best, you know. <laughs> right. They kind of uh, squashed that on us, didn't they? <laughs> we can't do as much uh, as what we could before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Facebook just reintroduced the breakdowns last week. Uh, so you can actually like look at gender again. You can look at age again and like how, how everything is c- converting pretty much, mm-hmm. which wasn't available before. So Facebook is kind of getting better and better and better, but it's not a hundred percent. It's getting better, but like you need to use some third party tracking software, such as triple whale, for example, this is what we're using. This is what we love to use. This is what we use for all of our brands. Um, I'm not too sure about how exactly the software works mm-hmm. if I would. I would have probably developed something myself instead of relying on a software um, sure. and just brought it to the market. Um, but I mean, it, it helps us a lot, especially understanding all of the touch points, seeing everything in retro perspective, especially the different customer journeys, right? Mm-hmm. Are they click on Facebook first? Do they come from Google? Let's say they're going Facebook and then they're converting on a brand search or they've clicked this email. So this helps us a lot with info. If we're talking about info, it would be high rolls. Because Hyros is just a bit better because Triple Wheel is more so focused on e-com, mm-hmm. I'd say. Mm-hmm. And Hyros is, spe- I wouldn't say specifically designed for info products, but it also works with info products. So you're able to see the customer journey, especially if you have, if you're gathering leads, let's say you have a website and you're just optimizing for cost per lead or, or leads. And mm-hmm. you can see that, you can see the... The, the cost per call and everything on the respective campaigns. So that just makes life a bit easier. So these are the two tools that we use. If we're talking about general management in terms of running a business, mm-hmm. uh, definitely Slack, communication. We use ClickUp for project management, Notion for knowledge management, and of course, uh, G Suite for anything, mm-hmm. email, uh, sheets, documents. Yeah, we use that too. For, for Gmail, it's, it's good. It integrates with everything nicely, <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. And what about um, like your email system? I mean, you, you 
you do a lot with email. Let's talk a little bit more about email because email has, I mean, it's kind of like, it's a love hate relationship with emails these days because we just get so many and it's hard to, you know, get through to people and spam and, you know, it's all about copywriting and all those things. But tell me, tell me what your experience with, with email has been and what your relationship with email, do you love it? Do you hate it? (laughs) I mean, we're doing a lot with emails, but I'm not the responsible person who does the actual (laughs) flows and campaigns. So I'm probably not the best person to talk about email marketing. Um, We're using Klaviyo. And I know that around 21% of overall revenue is coming through email, which is good because we're not trying to reallocate the revenue through just a welcome form or kind of like an incentive, like a pop-up, Hey, here's your 10% discount because of all these people are buying through email. Well, you know, maybe they would have bought otherwise. And and if it's not an exit intent pop-up, then, you know, like, should we really do it? This is like what, what I'm asking myself. Again, I'm not the expert, but, uh, Send, we're, we're sending out three campaigns a week. Sometimes we do an email blast. If we have a product launch or something, let's say we have a sale or something, we do an email campaign. Mm-hmm. And I know a friend of mine, a uh, client actually that I've worked with, they have, as far as I remember, they have one product launch a month. And, you know, owning owning their customers with not only email, but also a Facebook group where they have 50, 60,000 people inside, it really helps them a lot to push these sales, right? Because if they have a new product launch, they're just doing an email blast to their respective customers or, you know, to, to the right segments. And they have a post in their Facebook group where they always go live once a week. And that helps them to, you know, essentially print money from thin air. So to say. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Or, you know, through, through PayPal or Venmo or, <laughs> or Stripe, right? <laughs> it's a transaction, huh? Now it's time for a message from one of our partners, KitCaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand? And KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. We've had several guests from KitCaster on the Marketing Expedition podcast as well. So if you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com expedition to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. Okay. So another thing you touched base on earlier is um, text messaging, SMS messages. Uh, do you, can you share some uh, things that you've maybe learned along the way with, with text messaging? Honestly, same thing here. You shouldn't be, again, I'm, I'm not the expert when it comes to email marketing. <laughs> sure, sure. I talk to my friend Reynas, he runs a big email agency. Um, I think the most important thing is just knowing that you need to gather emails and numbers, you know, and, and then you should just do retention marketing. Because again, you shouldn't be relying on just acquiring people front end, but you need to increase the customer lifetime value. If we're looking about mm-hmm. retention, returning customers, we don't want more than 35% of people to be recurring or returning because mm-hmm. if it's higher than 35%, we know that we could be spending more money on ads to acquire more customers profitably, right? Mm-hmm. Because if the brand is only profitable or if the revenue of returning people is too high, then it's kind of like, you know, it's it's a dying mm-hmm. brand because we're not focusing on, on acquiring new customers. So 
for info, what, what we've learned is deliverability is also a big thing. And just being in, in the promo tab and the spam folder, uh, warming up your email properly. Um, so this is something that we're working on right now. But again, I can't yeah. <laughs> too many insights on that because, uh, first of all, I'm not doing it. My team does it. Mm -hmm. And uh, second of all, for the info, my, my business partner does it. That's great. So let's talk about you and how you've been able to scale the agencies that you've worked with. I mean, that is, you know, working with people, working with creatives, working with, you know, programmers and people who do all the technical things. I mean, that's pretty impressive to be able to scale and, and be able to do those things. But let's let's dig into a little bit more about how you have successfully been able to build agencies and work with them and and do that and investing in other agencies, too. Yeah. So essentially started my first agency, quote unquote, as a freelancer, took on clients for lead generation for Google ads. That was pretty much the point of time where I was like, damn, buying traffic on Fiverr from bots does not work. Wow. So that's Mark. Um, started going through courses on Google ads, you know, eventually became pretty good at it, made my clients good money, good results. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, man, I can't do all of this work on my own. So I had to look for talent. And then it's like, you're, you're turning from solopreneur, from freelancer to kind of like agency, you know, cause before mm -hmm. you're alone, I mean, you could consider it an agency, but then again, like, where's really the, well, the difference between being alone and being an agency and being alone and being a freelancer, right? Right, so I like, right, right. I more, I need to systemize everything. I need to make sure the people are, are up to speed, they're trained. So this is like when you really get into business of actually building a business, right? Because if you're alone, well, it doesn't matter how you manage everything. As long as you get things done, the client is happy. However, you cannot hire people if you don't have the processes in place, if you don't have the systems in place, mm -hmm. if you set expectations wrong. Because at the end of the day, if you're the one acquiring the customer through word of mouth or actual, you know, cold calling or just going into a local business, like I've done it, I'm just mm -hmm. pitching to people. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a different relationship, right? Because you're kind of friends with them and they pay you for a service and you do the service good. So you're kind of like friends, but it's like also very hard to split friendship from business. Right. And you know, yeah. You're texting with them on WhatsApp. So it's like, how does the switch really work? And it, and it happened essentially by, again, hiring people, training them, making sure you actually get to know what project management looks like, how it works, what tools you need to use in order to not only be able to supplement the growth, but also get the people up to speed, make sure they're high quality because the bigger you grow, the more, because you can't have an agency with a thousand people that is just as good as an agency with 10 people, in my opinion, quite mm -hmm. honestly, because mm -hmm. at some point, like, first of all, you still need to be able to pay everyone, right? A team of yeah. thousands. That would be good. <laughs> especially if they're based in Germany or something, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. it's really about ensuring that the quality is good. I don't want to have an agency with 200 people. My agency, my Google Ads agency, we're 23 people. Let's say my sister and I, let's say 25. That's good. I know everything that is happening. I don't need to micromanage everything. Everything has ownership. Everyone has ownership. I have kind of like a COO in place that is inside of the office in Germany, so I don't have to be there. My assistant is within that respective area, so she can check up any time, right? Mm -hmm. um, but by essentially having the switch from freelancer to agency, I was like, okay, so this is how it works. And then building your own social media channels and then eventually switching from going to local businesses and talking to them and like cold calling 
to actually just getting all of your leads through referrals mm -hmm. and word of mouth because of how good you are doing, right? Because you're in this one respective space in this one bubble and you have good results for one person, chances are this one business owner has probably other friends that are within the same business uh, and need the same help, right? Mm -hmm. He probably has friends that are on a similar similar level, level than him or below or up, but like chances are they need the service as well, right? And this is how it all got started. I was able to scale my agency. Right now we're spending around 18 million a month in wow. budget on Google ads, 18 million euros used to be more than $20 million. Now it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I was thinking like, how can I really apply this knowledge and take it to other agencies? Because I know exactly what it takes to grow an agency from zero to seven figures in MRR, not ARR, MRR, right? So I knew exactly, okay, so at this point, you need to outsource sales. At this point, you need to have this. At this point, you need to have this. Kind of like a tiny roadmap, right? Because it's based all on my own experience. It's not like I have a course where I teach other people how to run their agency, because with this one agency, with my first agency that I took on, the conversion rate optimization agency, I was working with them myself for my own stores, for my own info product. And I saw the results. I saw everything. They had great systems. The only trouble that they've had was actually getting clients, you know, mm -hmm. which is, in my opinion, the easiest part. If you start posting, 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 calling, 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 at some point, someone is going to say yes, right? <laughs> right. And at that point of time, it's you have cash flow, you can hire more people, you build the socials. Uh, and right now, Carl, the the one one of the two founders of the CRO agency, within a month, sorry, within a year, so I took equity in January, mm -hmm. and they were at, and the numbers aren't public yet, but they'll be public in a bit. Uh, but I don't expect my my friends to listen to this respective part of the episode, so I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> Beginning of the year in January, before I joined, let's say December, they were at 10k MRR. Right now, the agency is at 150k MRR which is wow. 15 within 10 months, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, cause Carl is still in the face of doing all the sales himself because everything is just organic. He's mm -hmm. the number one person for conversionary optimization. He has 20,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, he's speaking at events. He's speaking at ad world, actually, I think 40 mm -hmm. or 60,000 attendees online, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like recognized as the authority person right now, right? Yeah. So this is what we've done. And now we just need to, the team is like 32 people right now from beginning of the year four yeah. in total to 32, crazy jump. So right now it's just about, you know, getting more, getting actual salespeople, getting appointment setter, doing some outbound outreach and not having everything inbound mm -hmm. and uh, just putting them on commission and, and, and a fixed essentially. But going through the entire process really helped me to understand how to not only scale an agency, but how to actually build a business and mm -hmm. what is important, especially if we're talking about project management. I think you can't build a proper business with good delivery and everything without a proper project management. Impossible, right. in my opinion. Right. The tools and the people, right? <laughs> the, the people that can- 100%. Put, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> is very true. And if they can communicate, right? That's the, that's the main thing is being able to communicate what's needed and what's needing to get done and when it needs to get done and all of those, all of those things that go with it. Very, very okay. true. <laughs> yeah. Don't get fed, huh? That's right. That's right. So let's talk about what are some things that are trending right now. What's kind of the, you know, if you were to say, okay, I have a crystal ball and I'm going to make some predictions. Here's here's some things that are coming up that uh, we need to be aware of or watch for or think about 
in in the work that we do and where we're marketing right so what are some trends for for you that you see yeah i mean marketing costs are not going to go up cpms are always getting more expensive actually because of the entire wave of tiktok right now i like personally from what i am seeing the cpms on facebook on my end are getting a bit cheaper actually mm-hmm. and i i think that it's because of the fact that so many people are on tiktok right now that they are not spending as much money as they used to on Facebook. So, and this is my theory, right? My theory is that people are spending less money on Facebook right now and putting that money onto TikTok, meaning TikTok ads CPMs are going up because there's more competition. In my opinion, what's going to be super hot, first of all, TikTok ads, short form media, paid short form media, not only organic, the way we see Hormozy and everyone else, but actually driving paid ads on short form media Mm-hmm. to a direct response funnel, such as TikTok, especially YouTube short ads, something that not many people know that is out there. It's been out there for a few months. And personally, I think we haven't cracked the code fully yet, but mm-hmm. sometimes when we've had a hit, we just took the TikTok creative and use it as a YouTube short creative. Mm-hmm. CPMs that we've been seeing in Germany, sometimes 70 cents, 80 cents, sometimes even lower mm-hmm. uh, on some decent spend. So short form media, paid media, this Mm -hmm. is one thing. Uh, Second thing, community building. And many people are already doing this, but again, not only owning your customers through an email list or or something, or not necessarily even only through a Facebook group, but perhaps even through your own mobile app, right? And there are many ways you can build an an app such as TapCard, for example, because at the end of the day, if the people own the app, of course, at some point people are going to uninstall. They might, they might not, but sending out a push notification is free, mm. right? Like it's not as expensive as spending money on ads, right? right? The people have the app and you can just send a notification like that because they've downloaded it on the app store. What is more powerful than having an actual app and just sending a push notification when you have a product launch and just having people click the notification and being able to order from your app? Like, yeah, yeah. My opinion, super powerful, super neglected. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think uh, I've uh, fallen victim to having apps on my phone where they've sent me push notifications and I, you know, <laughs> and I think that that is absolutely a tactic that works. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's, on the flip side, what do you think is, is going to die off and not work as much as well as it was, you know, a year ago or, you know, what, what are some things that you're seeing that's trending down? It's not as an easy question as if you were to ask me what's popping, right? Because it's yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to focus on big opportunities and not on what's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's put it this way. What do you think you want to stop doing that isn't, isn't as effective as it used to be maybe? Or, you know, like if you're going to redirect some efforts, do you think that there's an area that if you had to, you know, refocus to something new, what would you stop doing? Um, stop running shitty ads because <laughs> yes. more and more and more people, I mean, ads can be ugly, ugly, right. And they can work, but people are getting so good at creative strategy right now that it's getting more and more competitive. I wouldn't say Facebook is dying out. I would say people are shifting budget to different platforms. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily say what, what is, what is hard or what people should stop. I, I'd, I'd actually flip the question and say, what should be people 
focusing more on in order to compensate uh, uh, people who are doing a bad job at certain things, right? And and one thing definitely creative strategy, in my opinion, creative strategy or, or a creative strategist should be in-house simply because they can pump out all of these concepts, all of these angles, all of these hooks and everything, have the video editor edit it, uh, mm-hmm. comment with Frame.io and then run the creative. But in terms of what's dying out, not having a proper attention tactic in place, uh, just focusing on one channel. This is something that people should stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a hard question. I'm not too sure if I can I can answer it that way. Quite honestly, no, you did you did good though. I mean, it's true. If you can stop doing things that aren't working and quit running shitty ads, then I think that's a good answer for sure. <laughs> Um, okay, so who are your ideal clients now? I mean, who is it that you would say, yes, we could help you because X, Y, Z, or, you know, why Why is it that you look for a particular client that, you know, would be your soulmate client that you would want to work with? Yeah, if we're talking about Google ads, it would be people who are already spending money on the platform, right? Because we're not really people who get you up and started with a brand new account. We're more responsible for scaling working accounts or for making the maximum out of one account and, and making sure we're able to help brands, uh, sometimes even VC back brands scale. Sometimes they want to see unprofitable scale because mm-hmm. according to some VCs, you know, if you're scaling profitable, then you're not spending enough money on acquisition. Uh, <laughs> right. So sometimes we're doing that, but quite honestly, like people were spending at least 10K, five to 10K a month on Google ads. Cause we know we can probably five X, 10 exit. And, uh, Turn Google and from kind of like a side channel to one of the top two, top three main acquisition channels long term. Speaking of Google ads, I want to know maybe a story, a short story of something that that you feel like you did help a client with, and you know they were spending five to ten, but then you did ten x them. What what did you do? What were some tactics that you took to help them ten x it and make it even even more of a Google machine for them? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it all starts with kind of like looking where the client is at right now. Because mm-hmm. in order to do something on the account, I need to know what's what's happening inside of the account, right? So generally speaking, we always start with an audit. We see what they're doing right now. What is best practice according to our opinion and how we can change it? There is actually one client that I have uh, a very vivid memory of um, <laughs> that we did this for. Um First of all, we cleaned the entire campaign segmentation campaign structure, right? Because mm-hmm. some things weren't really segmented the proper way. I want to always have a, a split between two different... Okay, first of all, if we're talking about acquisition, I want to segment brand campaign. So when people are actually looking for your brand versus, you know, transactional keywords such as, let's say, period underwear, right? Because mm-hmm. people are looking for that respective product and some people are looking for a brand. Then if we're talking about search campaigns, we always segment not only these transactional keywords, but also navigational keywords. So if someone looks for either a competitor name, a competitor brand, or even, you know, some generic things such as product name, Best Buy, product name, Amazon, product name, this product name, that, mm-hmm. right? So we're not only trying to get in front of the people with our own brand name, but also through the competitors' brands' names, mm-hmm. getting their market share, essentially getting the market share of all the generic keywords, getting market share of all of the informational keywords, mm-hmm. which would be, uh, you know, and this is like a bit far, but let's say 
you are in the market to buy period underwear for it? What would be something that would would pop into one's mind? It would be tampon alternative, right? It's not necessarily as transactional as the keyword period underwear, but it's still relevant to that respective audience, correct? So yeah. this is like something we always start off with. We take a look at all of the assets. We upload all of the assets that are working well from Facebook and TikTok. And then we implement, first of all, retargeting because the, the audience is already warm and hot. And we do retargeting everywhere, YouTube, display, discovery, shopping. We clean up the feed. So we optimize the entire feed, making sure that we're actually ranking for the keywords that we want to rank and not some generic product title that is within the product page, which, which sometimes doesn't give you any ranking or any search impression share, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. We want to see where the impression share is at. We want to raise the impression share. We want to look at the current KPIs. We need to see where we are at to understand how much money we can spend to get X amount of impression share. And at the end of the day, not only make more revenue, but also have a higher profit. Because at the end of the day, it's economies of scale. The more you spend, the less essentially output less 20%, right? So we double the revenue profit less 20%. So you always need to take that into account, right? That scaling the numbers doesn't mean the profit is higher and we don't want to scale the revenue numbers, but we want to scale the profit, right? Because mm -hmm. would you rather make 100K in revenue and uh, 20K profit or 200K uh, in revenue with, with the same profit? Right. right, right it doesn't make sense because you have more things to deal with, higher transaction fees, more refunds, more customer support, and, and just like the overall costs are, are so much higher associated to the to the other 100K in revenue. But yeah. essentially, this is what we do. Segment everything, clean up the feed, uh, get the respective creatives, and then just scale it up from there, look at the data, improve everything. So it's kind of like a push and pull, right? We need to spend money in order to see what is working. We reduce it, we cut out the bad things, and then we increase again in scale. Right, right. I always say we got to stop, start, keep, or tweak and figure out what those things are for sure. I love it. So, 100%. okay, how, about how long do you think that you that process that you just described, how long does it take you to, to do that and go through that process, do you think? Well, the entire research, first of all, probably takes around a week because we're very thorough with everything. Yeah. For us, it's not about oh, we want to see what keywords are there. We need to understand what language the customer is speaking, what kind of other searches they're looking at, uh, who is the competitor, who's in the market, what are some alternatives, right? Mm -hmm. If I would be, if I would, like, if I wouldn't know about period underwear mm -hmm. uh, and, and the client that I have, I wouldn't know about tampon alternatives, right? It's just right. about, because we've done the entire research, right? Um, so research, probably a week. And then it really depends on the budget and, how much money we are going to spend, how much money the account is spending right now. Mm -hmm. So it's all bound to the budget. If we're talking about budget, how long it would take, could take anywhere from two and a half K to 10 K. It always depends, right? How much they're already spending. If we're talking about they're spending 10 K a day, well, probably going to take like 10, 20 K. Because it, it also depends on how much we're testing. If we're testing creatives on YouTube, well, the testing is going to involve so much more money. You could compare it to native ads. On native ads, Taboola and Outbrain, you need to spend at least 5 to 10K to actually see a combination that is working, right? Mm -hmm. Targeting keywords and making sure they're working involves way less money as opposed to testing YouTube creatives, which are so much more, well, mm -hmm. it takes so much more effort to just produce these creatives, right? So 
depends if we're talking about a time frame research one week whole setup probably three to four weeks not like setting up the ads but like setup can be done in a day but mm -hmm. making sure everything is in place and then again like the the optimization process just never stops it's not like you set up ads and then you can let them run of course you can let them run but there's always room for improvements right it's always right. about these one percent optimizations and uh making sure you're getting more skill and, and essentially more money than you're doing yeah and once you get it dialed in and, and working uh then you can spend more and then there'll probably be even more iterations and more things to test pretty much <laughs> Uh, excellent. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for all of this wonderful uh, gems of nuggets of good information. <laughs> See what I did there. <laughs> uh, but uh, I wanted I want you to I wanted to give you a chance to um, share how people can reach out to you if they're interested in working with you in some way or another. Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks uh, for for the shameless plug opportunity. <laughs> of course. Um, if anyone needs some help with their Google ads or even conversion rate optimization. If anyone wants to get into e-commerce at all, uh, I'd say the best option to reach me is just go to my LinkedIn profile. I think the name should be in the notes. Uh, so just look up the name on LinkedIn, send me a message and we'll just go from there. Excellent. And you work with other agencies too. So we can always uh, get to work with you in, in some way or another, right, Jim? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I thought. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Well, so for those of you who are listening, um, do what Jim said, go find him on LinkedIn and, and see what you can do to uh, learn some more from him as we grow and go. And also the best thing that you can do for us is to share this episode with those, you know, that need to hear what we had to talk about today and then give us a review because those reviews are like gold to us and podcasters everywhere. So thank you again. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today, Jim. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. And until next time, everybody, enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.